Shayna Hotkin is the managing editor of InVision's blog Inside Design. This online magazine is one of the leading resources for web designers with over 2.3 million subscribers. At the beginning of her career, Shayna worked as a freelance writer for different companies. She studied creative writing at college and later decided to combine her journalistic skills with her love for design. After several content positions at design companies, Shayna joined InVision, where she has since been responsible for the blog's content operations. In this podcast, Shayna talks about writing on design as a non-designer, explains how she keeps high writing standards when working with designers from the community, and predicts the next hot design topics for 2020. Welcome to another episode of Elementary Talks, and with me as always is Matan. How are you, Matan? Hi, Ben. It's a new week. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Matan, there's been a few uh, design companies that really stood out throughout the, the years uh, and have, that have influenced uh, Elementor also. The, are you, do you know what company I'm talking about that was one of the major influences? I believe we're talking about InVision. Exactly. Uh, so the number of references we, we mentioned them is, is countless. And luckily, today we have Shaina Hodkin, Managing Editor of the InVision blog. Shaina, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Shaina, born and raised in New York, you've been living in Tel Aviv for the last seven years or so. What were you doing before joining the InVision team? Before InVision, I was working at another smaller design company called Rapid UI. They were clients of mine from when I was freelancing. And after four years of working as a freelance writer, I joined their team full time. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're actually, uh, are you a designer? Are you content writer in your, I, I mean, in your, um, what did you start in college? <laughs> I studied creative writing in college, so it's really lucky that I moved to Israel because in the States, a creative writing degree isn't, it doesn't really get anyone any jobs ever. <laughs> mm -hmm. But in Israel, it gives me an added advantage in the content field. Everyone thinks I'm a designer. I'm not. I wish I was. I'm just, I've tried. I'm just very bad at it, but I've tried. Um, so I've taken my love for design and matched it with the thing that I'm good at. Mm -hmm. So you're basically a non-designer writing about design. This is quite challenging. How did you ov overcome the obvious obstacles? You know, uh, the, the jargon or knowing, getting familiar with the web designer's workflow? It's not that complicated. As soon as you're interested in something or anyone is interested in something, they want to learn. And writing is just putting words on observations. So I looked around, I read, I read a lot, and I started meeting people in the field. I got started working in design because I was working with design agencies on writing copy for their websites because I had worked with them on projects for their clients. So I had to learn about their workflows to do these landing pages and these about pages, right? So it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, well... I'd like to ask another question about that because uh, getting hired as uh, in a design-related uh, position is something that's interesting for a lot of our clients. So I'd love to delve be a bit into uh, the process you had because I'm sure you were competing against people with design degrees and, and uh, portfolios, etc. 
So at Envision, it was just a lot of luck. I came in through a referral. I had written for the blog before when I was working at the new school. So I knew the uh, managing editor of the blog and when she was promoted, she reached out to me and it gave me a little bit of an edge on the way in. That's cool. And because I'd been working in design for five years, I think at that point, between um, Rapid UI and my freelance clients, I didn't need a design degree to have that kind of knowledge and advantage. And at the start, was there like, was there a gap or like, uh, did you have to read a lot of books? Like, how did you uh, cope with that uh, challenge? There's always a gap because design is changing day to day. And as soon as I feel like I have design systems under control, then there's a new kind of prototyping workflow. There's always something new going on. And especially somewhere like Envision, we're not only is Envision a market leader, but we're also a fully remote company. So I would say for myself, the first and biggest hurdle that I dealt with at Envision was learning how to navigate a 900-person fully distributed company. So tell us a bit about Envision for the folks who uh, don't know it. Like uh, what it is uh, that you do and uh, like why, why are so many companies uh, using uh, Envision? Envision is the digital product design platform powering the world's best user experiences. So what that means basically is that we have a suite of products that help designers do their best work across a multitude of functions. So we have Envision prototyping, that was where we started and that's what we're best known for. And that was the first prototyping tool on the market that was able to take digital designs and make them dance, make them work help designers show clients and show stakeholders what they were supposed to be doing. It radicalized not just design's place in the product building workflow, but also designer to let a developer collaboration, the way that people understand design before it's live, the involvement of, I can't say enough for the way it's raised the importance of digital design in the universe. Oh, for sure. Um, so, uh, and you're a new company as well. I mean, it's not, uh, when was it launched? Like 2007, I believe. Yeah. It's rather an, a new company. So, uh, along with the, the, the products, there's, I mean, Envision now is kind of synonymous with the whole world of design. So you, so apart from the blog that, that you manage, you also have podcasts and, and, uh, and kits and kind of a lot of things. Uh, so. Tell us a bit about what, what uh, organizes this, uh, this whole uh, operation. It's something that grew organically, I would say, because Envision is such a content-heavy company, but we're not a content company. So as Envision grew and as we were able to provide more educational resources, they were just added along. You know, Shaina, it's Elementor blog. Uh, we found to have more than one persona to cater to in terms of content. We provide content for web designers, marketers, WordPress developers. Do you identify more than one persona reading your blog? I mean, do you differentiate between different types of web designers? Oh, definitely. We have a lot of different personas. So the persona that I spend the most time thinking about is the junior designer who needs more educational resources. Mm-hmm. Just because those are the ones who 
need a hand. They need a cultural resource that will always be willing to explain complicated concepts to them at, a, at eye level. But there's also the senior design leaders who want to read interviews with other leaders or the mid-level designers who want to learn about more obscure theories, but they don't need explanations of basic techniques. There's people who want to learn something new every day. There's people who are just web design hobbyists like me, mm -hmm. who want to know how to do things without actually having to do them, or they want to know who's important in the field without actually working in the field. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of people. And do you know which formats they prefer when consuming content? Like, do they prefer these junior web designers? That, do they prefer watching your videos, uh, reading long-form articles? We do a lot of research there, and we've been able to narrow it down and to target different people with different types of content, but we're always testing and always changing. So our designbetter.co team has been producing incredible resources for senior designers. And that's where we're able to get really creative with our content types. They have videos, they have podcasts, they have webinars. We have books. Envision publishes books, which is fantastic. And they come out from the designbetter.co name. The side of the content team that I work on, Inside Design, we focus primarily on blog posts more long form than short form. And that's where I get to interact with the junior designers who are looking for more education. So how does this uh, process of working with collaborators uh, exactly work? How do you get other people uh, to write content that uh, lives up to your standard? And how do you kind of monitor and, and edit it? What's, what's the process like? It's a lot of work. Keeping things up to standards is my job as the managing editor. So I think it starts with how do we find our writers? We don't have any staff writers right now. So everyone who writes for us is either a freelancer or an external contributor who is not freelancing, someone you know writing for their company or an internal contributor. Mm -hmm. And all three come with different pros and cons, but they all have to be edited to meet the blog's voice. What we've managed to do is build a design language that explains design concepts to people who don't have advanced design knowledge. So when I work with a freelancer, sometimes depending on the topic, it's better that they're better writers and not designers and I can add the design knowledge. But for some things, it's really important that they have that design, impeccable design knowledge and I just have to help them put their words on their stories. One of the challenges that I know our uh, designer audience uh, deals with is uh, really the translation of the knowledge that they have in design into words, into copy, into stories. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you had any uh, successes that you can uh, mention that, uh, in that field? That's my favorite part of design and my job. That's what I love about my job, figuring out, and it happens... I don't want to say every day, but most days working with someone who you, using language and words is not their strong suit and helping them figure out how to express their strengths using my strength. So my favorite one, we had a UX researcher from Lithuania send in a post and the research theory was genius and the writing was 
difficult to understand. And it's something that I spent a little while thinking about whether I should just thank her and not use it or what we should do. And I ended up printing it. I'm sorry to the trees, printing this post, sitting on my floor with scissors and rearranging it paragraph by paragraph oh, wow. so that I could have the order done because it was like 10 pages printed. But it was so good. I knew if I could just crack it, it would be really good, but I, it needed that work. And I'm so happy with how it came out. It was one of my big wins of 2019, I think. Not even by the numbers, just for myself. So basically, you just said that uh, you don't have at the moment any internal writers. How do you indeed create this unified language for a magazine, for a blog, when you have so many uh, different writers coming from different niches and backgrounds? Yeah. And backgrounds? That's my whole job. I have to sit and go over every word that goes on the blog really carefully, make sure every point of view reflects ours, and to do quality control, basically. Uh, how do you g get into uh, the you know the everyday life? This is something that we deal with, so that's why I'm kind of asking. Get into the minds of, of your users uh, and tapping into them. There are a lot of ways, you know, from surveys to actual uh, phone conversations to, um, I don't know, keyword research. There are really a lot of ways. What, what's your preferred uh, method? It depends on the goals. If I want to identify themes for the blog, then I'll do a lot of research on what's being published and I'll be able to do some market research and see what is being read and what's being shared. Plus talking to designers internally and having them build sort of focus groups with people in their communities. If we're talking more about formats and whether we're looking to release more UI kits or share more essays, then we can send out a survey to our over 2 million subscribers and see what kind of content forms they're hungry for. Mm -hmm. Are there topics, trending topics that you cover that coming straight from your community? Oh, of course, because we have people. You know, you're reading a thread on your uh, Facebook community and then you say, oh, that's a great idea. I'm just going to delegate this to one of my external writers. All the time. And if that happens, I try to go first to the person who posted. So like I have a friend who works at a company where they just built their own design system. And I saw mm -hmm. him posting somewhere about it. And I went to him and I asked him if he would want to write. And now he's writing because it's not... His idea about design tokens was great. And even though it's not that specific post, wasn't a good fit for us, I would rather him tell his story and his voice than farm it off to a freelancer who would come at it from a different angle that might not be as authentic or as original. You, you mentioned you, you will work with uh, freelancers and with uh, actual people from, uh, from the industry designers from the industry, what are the differences that you found in, in the type of, of content uh, that they create? And more specifically, I, I, I mean, someone with hands-on experience obviously can produce a different uh, kind of uh, article. Do, do, you, do you see this, this, this difference in, in your articles? So there's a few places where the process can differentiate. 
professional writers are professionals. They get paid to do this. So their approach to the writing and editing process is very different from someone who's not getting paid to do this or who has never been paid before to do this. Because especially as someone who was freelancing for years, it's really hard to write something and have it come back all scratched up. But you realize when you're doing it professionally that it's not, it has usually very little to do with your work and more to do with the publication. I can have something sent to us that is a fantastic high-level academic piece, but that's not a good fit for the blog. And if it's supposed to be for the blog, then I'll have to do some very heavy editing. For a designer or someone who's not a writer who sends in their posts and they get back those kind of edits, it can be really disturbing, can be really upsetting to have that kind of nasty feedback when you think you've done your best work. So it's, there's a difference between how I walk writers through edits and how I explain the edits to them. Something that I tell all of our contributors, but especially our non-professional writers, is that the most important thing that I think about when I'm editing is how I can help the writer reach the readers. So how we can help meet the readers where we're at and what will bring them the best impact. So ultimately, even though it might be really hard to get back a Google Doc that's filled with comments and suggestions and green lines and red lines, all of that work means that the writer will be coming closer to the reader and not publishing something that will go over the reader's head. And do you see a difference in the result and the outcome? I mean, engagement, I mean, do people engage more when it comes from uh, someone from the industry? We see the difference mostly in the topic itself. It's not always about the writer, it's about the writer's expertise. So last year we looked at the content calendar and we made some changes where we decided we were only going to have designers writing about design practices. We would only have UX writers writing about UX writing. We were very deliberate in that way. And we very rarely stray from that. And we were able to grow traffic by 70% in Q2 of 2019 by taking a really careful look at what we were doing and really carefully curating what we were writing. So, Shaina, we are on the cusp of uh, year 2020. I'm very curious to know, what do you think would be the most trending topics in the web design community? What are they going to talk about? I know that, in, you know, over the last two months or so, dark mode, for some reason, is the big thing that we can see also outside of the web design community. Mm-hmm. But can you, as, a, you know, the managing editor, can tell you about things that you're going, like your forecast of things that are going to be really most talked about? We just published a post about this on Thursday. So I highly recommend everyone go check that out. But aside for that, I personally, my Shana Hodkin predictions for 2020 are inclusive design. So continuing to discuss accessibility, but also moving that conversation into inclusion and embracing what inclusion means as opposed to accessibility. So if we know, for example, that accessible design practices save design companies millions of dollars, and we saw that in a report that we commissioned earlier this year, why or how can we go past that into inclusive design? So they say that accessibility is being invited to a party, inclusion is being asked to dance. How can we incorporate those principles 
into our better digital design practices. Can you give an example of this sort of uh, inclusion design? What design should look like? It's copy that's written not to trip you up. So that's where dark mode comes in with accessibility, right? It's copy that's written to get you where you're going. It's forms that are designed with the user in mind, not the appearance. So for example, if the copy of the form has to be on the left so a screen reader can read it, instead of inside of the form that will start to make those compromises. It's about color contrast and things that make sense, putting alt tags on all of our images, making the web easy to navigate for people with disabilities. Yeah, there was a, an episode in 99 uh, design that I, 99% uh, design that I, uh, no, sorry, in 99% uh, invisible that I follow, that they mentioned that there's a, there's a movement a natural movement from things you develop for accessibility, like like this, the sidewalks for uh, wheelchairs, that end up actually helping the entire population with uh -huh. you know with a bicycle and uh, with women with. I uh, saw that, yeah. Parents with um, with uh, yeah with toddlers with uh, carriages. So I think uh, that's the same in in web design. The, these these uh, modifications for accessibility uh, actually end up helping everyone because you're on a train and there's noise and just helps you uh, regardless of, of uh, who you are. Accessible design is good design because accessible design will never be bad for anyone. The more accessible design is, the better it is for more people. It's something that shouldn't be an afterthought because it's the only way that a really good empathetic UX designer should be doing their work. I was just at a conference a few weeks ago and I went to a pseudo-associated session over the weekend about accessible design and how to incorporate. This woman told her story of how she started incorporate incorporating excuse me, accessibility into her agency's digital design practices. And she told this story that I was sitting there and it was so frustrating about how they were able to sell the client on accessible design by telling the client they were doing it but not sharing it as an option and just tagging on the extra hours. When accessible design shouldn't take extra hours, writing accessible code shouldn't take extra hours. It's part of the process. And if the accessible design process takes five hours when you're learning the new way to do it, instead of three hours from before, it's not two extra hours. This is just the way it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. Shayna, I'm a bit curious. Who are the people that you follow and people, websites, uh, blogs, podcasts? Who, who's on your top list? Wow, I love this question. Um, Pablo Stanley is a genius. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pablo is a genius. <laughs> I'm so lucky that Envision has put me on his team. The first time I met him, I was at awards in New York and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hi, Pablo, I, I slacked you. I'm Shayna. And I was so nervous. And now he's one of my dearest friends. He is a genius. I recommend him. His I, I, I love this talk on awards, I think, about the fake, fa something about faking. Uh, uh huh. Faking. Yeah, it's a really, really good talk. The one he did at awards in New York also was really great. I don't remember what it was, but Pablo is fantastic. 
so I send everyone who wants to know about design culture to his medium. Also, Sarah Duty is a really great writer for anyone, not just UXers, but anyone getting into a new field because her work in portfolios has shown me and a lot of other folks the value of not doing free work and how to sell yourself and the work that you've done even when you haven't done any industry work. So how to understand what you're doing and the value of what you're doing and to take stock of what you're worth. So she's fantastic. I hate to say this, but designer news is a very important place to be just because even when people aren't right, and they're often not right, it's important to know what's being talked about when people control mm. their own channel. Yeah. For digital um, design, I can keep going for days. So. <laughs> so right before wrapping up, uh, where can our listeners follow you or find your uh, writings? So right now, most of my writing is done for Envision, but there's always new things. So my website is shaynahodkin.com. And on Instagram, I am cool fun party, which is funny because I'm none of those actual things. But <laughs> that's the, how you came to that name is the topic for <laughs> next. Our ne- our next I wish I remembered how I did. I think about that all the time. And all I know is that one day I changed it. And my mom called me and she said, liar. <laughs> so that's I'm branded everywhere my website is also coolfun.party someone on twitter took cool fun party so I'm fun cool party everywhere and I'm really um, Ben has met me he knows I'm not not cool fun party but you know <laughs> no no you're your own cool fun party I, I disagree I'm cool fun party thank you thanks so much Shayna it's been a pleasure it's always a pleasure meeting people that Uh, many colleagues that, colleagues that uh, have uh, kind of the same mindset in terms of what they're dealing with. And plus, we've, we've linked so much to, to InVision through the years. It's, it's uh, also fun to kind of get, a, get, a, uh, get the person behind all this uh, amazing content. Definitely. Um, Thank so thanks, thanks very much for doing this interview. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for being with us. And I'd also like to ask if you like uh, this podcast and other podcasts, feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple Music mm-hmm. of the podcast. I'm running so, to do it. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you as well. You, you're not off the hook. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks a lot. And, uh, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. This was great. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.